Hello guys, thanks for tuning in. Warmest greetings of the coldest season to you. This is Ali Maxwell, George Ellix here as well. We are the Not The Top 20 podcast and this is the Monday pod. George, we've got Boxing Day football to talk about. Before we get into it, for the final time in December, remind me and the listeners why we would be crazy not to play the Skybet EFL Rewards app predictor today. Yeah, if you don't know this by now, where have you been? It's nearly the end of December. It's nearly the end of 2020. And that means it's nearly the last chance. Well, it is the last chance to play the predictor for free and have the possibility of winning £1,000. Mm. If this wasn't a podcast and I met you, listener, so I'm not talking to Ali here, I'm talking to you in your ear. If me and you met and met in a park, right? And I said to you, do you know what? I'm going to give you the chance to predict the outcomes of all the football tomorrow for free. And if you're right, if you get more than, than everybody else, you're going to win a thousand pounds. You'd be like, what the heck? And that's what's happening, except we're not in a park. I'm just in your ear. I mean, when you put it like that, mate, especially <laughs> yeah. especially in that sort of location, um, it's very hard to turn down. We've had two NTT20 listeners win a grand, which we found awesome. out about just before Christmas. I mean, the best gift we could have asked for, apart from that nice new uh, jacket that I got, which I'll be wearing on Quest on Saturday the 2nd. So keep your eye out for that. But the second best present I could have got... Why didn't you wear the jacket on Boxing Day? That's a good question. Thought about it, but... Didn't. As with all good presents, opened it, put it straight on. So wore it on Christmas Day. Didn't <laughs> didn't want to roll into the Quest Studios smelling of gammon, of ham. Because that's what we had on Christmas Day. None of this turkey nonsense. Um, but yes, uh, the, the, the second best present we could have got was hearing from Jack and hearing from Oscar that they had won £1,000 courtesy of Skybet by being the best predictors uh, in one of the game weeks in December. There's one last chance. Please do get involved today. Download the Skybet EFL Rewards app. Enter your predictions ahead of kickoff tomorrow, Tuesday, the 29th, and be in with a chance of winning £1,000 for the last time in December. Thank you to Skybet EFL Rewards app for their continued sponsorship of the pod. George, let's get our teeth into some Boxing Day leftovers. Watford 1, Norwich 0. Seems like a good place to start. You were on the Sky Sports pre-match coverage of this game, talking about Chisco Munoz, the new manager of Watford, and he was a very happy man, even happier than he seems to be just naturally, um, <laughs> when they left with all three points uh, against league leaders Norwich. Watford 1, Norwich 0. What are your thoughts? My first thought is that before I did my bit on Sky, Caroline Barker, presenter at Sky Sports and very good friend of the pod, told me that she'd heard Cisco saying his own name and he says Cisco and not Chisco. Ah, that's good to know. And she kind of said Munoz was more like Munoz. Okay. Basically, it sounds like Cisco Munoz says his name as if he were like just a, just just an Englishman. There's got to be a nye on the end because it's got a, I, I don't I know. know what you call that symbol. Yeah, I think there was a nye. I think there was a nye. Yeah, it's the opposite of Canos, which doesn't have the nye. It's just Munoz. But maybe it's the Z that's causing some confusion for me here. Munoz. My Spanish A-level has never felt further away. I would have thought it would be Chisco too, but, you know, Xavi, Cisco, Savvy, I don't know. But this is this is where we are. This is where we are. What a start to the pod. You can really tell it's been a few days of merriment, can't you? Um, this was interesting because I maybe foolishly bought into the narrative massively and I thought we were going to see a Watford side who were going to be unleashed and playing with an incredible amount of creative freedom and verve and pizzazz it wasn't the case um it was it wasn't more of the same because I think defensively they were much better certainly much better than they were against Huddersfield in um Vladimir Ivic's final game but but yet I mean and they were playing against a Norwich side who in most games, are going to dominate possession. In most games, are going to have periods where they're on top. Trying to out Norwich, Norwich in your first game back would have been would have been stupid. Yeah, and it was it wasn't this kind of new brand of attacking football. In fairness to them, but I mean, Watford fans seemingly, I think this is one of those matches where if it plays out exactly as it did, and Norwich nick a one nil lead, then Watford fans are going to be there saying, "Oh my God, it's more of the same. Nothing's changed." Whereas, in fact, it, it was another pragmatic performance. They did well to keep Norwich largely at bay from a 1-0 lead early on. And, you know, just in terms of 
uh, of what this can bring in terms of galvanizing the players, the fan base, the managers all together with a victory is important because you know not only have they won his first game of the season, they've beaten the, the team top of the table. They have stopped kind of a, a poor run of form. They put themselves in a position now where they're just six points off the top, right? You know, in the mix at the top end there. So a really important win for them and and for Norwich. I think you just have to say you know. On another day, it could have been different. They don't have too much to be worried about. It's only their fourth defeat of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a run they've been on as well. That was never going to continue forever. Um, Just a couple of things to add. And I feel like a lot of the uh, response, a lot of the credit that Cisco was getting was was sort of half to do with him. But as is often the case here, kind of half-pointed criticism at the outgoing manager, Vladimir, as well. Like, Dini in his post-match just could not have been more like obvious uh, Mm. when he kept saying like you know he's got an amazing character and personality and he really wants to connect with us guys and he let us spend Christmas day with our families and that just meant we really wanted to play for him all the lads were buying into it we really want to play for this guy seems like a brilliant bloke and it was all very you know while that is true he clearly looks like a really outgoing bloke and on the touchline very entertaining you know, polar opposite to Ivic, and that was being made mm. very clear in, in some of those um, responses. So, look, uh, as first impressions go, it was very good. I think playing playing four four two with Dini and Gray up top was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, Gray still not looking like the Andre Gray that we remember last time he was at this level with Burnley, where I think he was the league's top scorer in uh, in promotion. But that is four or five years ago, and yeah, four four two. We were told beforehand by those who knew his. Tbilisi side that he 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 had an onus on on attacking down the the wings and as we said uh, this time last week getting the best out of Sar should be one of the, the you know the first ports of call and he looked bright it, they were targeting him a lot Kapu played a lot of clever balls into Sar and and um, they led to chances being created Semer of course set up Sar's goal that is a a, a good way to attack if you're going to play in this system so positive stuff uh, it does look like Kapu might be off there have been reports that there's a, a deal being agreed with him and I think Villarreal someone in Spain so Kapu being off uh, raises question marks in the centre of the park you've got Will Hughes back fit and hopefully coming back into the side but outside of those two um, I, I wouldn't say any of the central midfield players that have played for Watford this season have impressed, whether that's been Cleverly or Chalaba or Garner alone from Manchester United. So plenty of questions for uh, for Cisco, but a really strong start there. Cardiff 2, Brentford 3 was a funny one because the first 47 minutes of this game were pretty horrendous until Will Volks stepped onto a square ball circa 65 yards out. Let's start with Will Volks' goal. That is surely going to win goal of the season because I'm trying to work out what could happen that would be better than that. People love a goal from their own half, but even in the realm of goals from within your own half, this is right up there with anything I've seen. It's it's almost like an inside-your-own-half screamer because he has to (laughs) kick it so hard to get it there. And then the one other bit that I really like about it is it was unbelievably windy. So like, which makes he hits it so high, and you can see from the, from the background angle because half half because it's coming across him, so he kind of has to hit it in that way that's going to go left to right anyway. You can see the way it arches in the wind and then kind of falls basically in line with the top corner, landing just before then bouncing to the top corner. It is the the technique to do it to put it off quite clearly deliberate as well. I mean, I always think with good goals, and that's kind of what we're touching on here. The the most important thing for me is that there there's a semblance of of something unique about them. You know, I think we've all seen amazing strikes which whistle into the top corner and I think free kick goals, unless it's something like Roberto Carlos's, where again, it's something a bit different. It's very hard to to put them up at the top level. It's why like, I think one of the best goals ever is Van Persie's goal in the World Cup a couple of years ago, a few years ago, because you just literally never see anything like it. And for that reason, I think Volks's is brilliant. But I also think that Sergi Canos is for that reason. Canos, is... Canos. We've just Sorry. been talking about this. <laughs> if there's no wobbly thing on the N, it's just a hard N. Canos. I've just I've been t- been saying Munos to myself so much that I've got <laughs> confused. Um, I think his first goal. It, I'm not going to say that it's on a par with Vox's, but there's something about when you see a volley from kind of 25 yards, which is so unique in the way that it's hit. The technique that you're seeing for people who haven't seen it, effectively, Canos has a shot. It it kind of balloons. It's deflected and balloons back over his right shoulder. He takes a look behind him to make sure there's nobody there, and then from behind him on the full, hits a lob. And normally, I always think it's a massive shame when you see a great goal and you see the replay and you're like, ah, oh, it's gone right in the middle of the goal. The keeper should, should have done better. Mm. 
this is a very rare occasion where the gold is better because it's straight <laughs> straight over Smithies because Smithies can't get anywhere near it. So the fact that he's managed to pull it off, lobbing the keeper whilst uh, it's absolutely remarkable. It's one of the best bits of technique I've seen for a long time. Yeah. I'd love to know how wind assisted it was, but yeah, in, in what you're saying, I, I think Volks would be a, a fair winner of a goal of the season competition at the moment. But in terms of a, a favoured goal, I prefer I prefer Sergio Canos's. Clinton Morrison said that that one reminded him a bit of Ruben Neves, and I thought that was a really mm. good shout. That yeah. that volley he scored against Derby, um, and with Volks as well, I think the, the two things that elevate it for me. One is like. Brian claimed in the playoff final that they they knew that Raya took very uh, aggressive positions and so they, they tried to catch him out and they, they said that was premeditated. I'm absolutely positive and I don't think Volks has spoken about this yet. I guess the fact that they lost meant that he wasn't really going to come out and start crowing about it but I'd be interested to hear Volks talk about this because I'm going to assume this was premeditated again mm. based on the aggressive positions that Raya takes up in attack but... <laughs> The fact that the ball comes across him from left to right as a right footer, I think that is the last of the options you'd have. If I said to you, George, okay, you're going to have 10 tries to recreate that goal, but you can choose how you receive the ball. I think you'd hit a stationary ball. That's probably number one, right? Number two is probably one where, a bit like Beckham against Wimbledon, you've taken a little touch and rolled it in front of yourself and hit it as it's just moving forward a little bit. Number three is probably having it touched back to you straight. Number four is probably coming coming from your right as a right footer so that you can get a bit of whip on it, start it outside the right-hand post and try and sort of curl it back in. And I think the last option is to come from your left so you have to cut across it. I mean, yeah. 99 times out of 100, that gets like shanked out for a throw-in. It doesn't get anywhere near the goal. So absolutely astonishing execution. And I don't think we've ever spoken about a goal for five minutes before, but I think it's absolutely worth it. It was, it was sensational. But Brentford won, and Canos was the match winner, uh, ended up with a hat-trick. The third goal, I felt a bit bad for him. Thomas Frank coming straight out and saying, yeah, it was a cross. It was a cross, yeah. <laughs> um, because at first I was I was ready to give it to him. After you've chucked in a double step over to 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 dip inside the defender, I think you have every right to shoot on a hat-trick. But it, it's notable because this time last week we spoke about Mbermo winning a game for Brentford and how outside of Tony they needed some of the supporting cast to step up if they were to turn some of the draws into wins on this amazing unbeaten run that they've been on. And since then, we've seen De Silva win a game for them. And then this weekend, it was Canos. And Tony can just have a bit of a breather from the goal scoring for the moment. And that's really, really, um, that's significant because Canos, you know, as, as Frank alluded to in his interview, he hasn't had an easy time, not only coming back from a serious injury, but struggling to replace the output of Ben Rama, playing off the left, just not being as, as natural in the final third, you'd say, as Ben Rama. Um, and therefore coming in for a little bit of stick, I think it's fair to say, um, which is understandable as well. He didn't get a goal or an, or an assist in his first 15 league games this season. Um, but in December, he's been brilliant. And, you know, easy to forget he's only 23, Canos, because he's been around yeah. for a long time. He feels like a senior player. I think he's, he, he comes across as one of those brilliant characters to have in the, in the dressing room. Very versatile, of course, puts in a shift wherever he plays. And now the quality in the final third that we've seen this month, if that can be uh, more consistent over the next few months, then Brentford are in a really interesting position. But impressive run that they're on, uh, easing up the table in the last month or two. And they've got Bournemouth on Wednesday, which should be a, a really intriguing game. Last thing on Brentford, did you notice that Marcus Force signed a new contract until yes. 2026? A real show of faith in the lad, I'd say. That's amazing. Well, I think it's mm. a real uh, locking down your asset, I think, given uh, given your Dortmunds have been sniffing around. Uh, let's crack on to QPR nil, Swansea 2. Uh, George, Swansea march on. This is their seventh 2-0 win of the season out of 21 games, which I think is, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything more than any other kind of win but I think it speaks to what we've been saying quite a lot this season which is Swansea are a very business-like team under Steve Cooper who once they go ahead they don't just sit back and invite pressure and occasionally concede late equalizers more often than not they get the second goal as well which is a hell of a, a character trait yeah it is I'm, I, I'm, having you know tipped them up on the betting show I wouldn't say I was overly impressed with the manner of this victory i mean it was it was pretty professional um but qpr certainly had their chances i mean we've spoken about qpr recently as being a side who um have lost their attacking verve and that has been the case but here against the 
best defence at the moment in the Championship. I think this is their 12th clean sheet so far this season. QPR were able to create a fair few chances um, and I think can kind of put their their lack of of goals more down to poor finishing than anything else. And you look at the goals themselves as well. Ayu's goal um, was a you know a brilliant clearance off the line from Johan Barbe that deflects onto the woodwork and then bounces into Ayu's path. So not without luck. And then the second goal from Lowe is is him is them just picking off um, QPR on Great the break pass from Grimes. Yeah, really good pass from Grimes. I, I, you know, this isn't me taking anything away from Swansea. It's just you're looking at a side who are now second in the championship who uh, understandably fans are getting very excited. You know, when, when I did the, the Q and a on Twitter last week, a, a Swansea fan got in touch and said, you know, is there a like, is there a likelihood that Swansea are going to break the, you know, best defensive record record in the championship this season? There have been some pretty good defensive sides this season. I understand that Swansea are up there right now, but given QPR's struggles, I wouldn't say this was a game where you come away being like, oh, they are so solid. Um, I don't want to take anything away from Cooper and Swansea because I do think they're, they are there by merit and I, and I do think that their ability to to score goals on the break especially puts them in good stead and that's probably why they do win games 2-0 is because they're so secure in their 1-0 wins and they've got the pace of IU and Lowe when they do break that it suits them quite well. It's also interesting to note that Swansea's possession style has basically gone out of the window in the last few weeks. They mm. only had 34% possession against QPR here as well. Um, so showing Steve, well, Steve Cooper showing that he's not necessarily a manager who's wedded to one style of play um so i i guess whilst things are desperate for qpr at the moment my kind of over overarching point here is that maybe there was an improvement in terms of their performance bryce samuel was dropped to the bench which i think is a surprise when you're struggling I, I know he's been out of form and i know he's been linked to moves away in january but when you're struggling as they are to score goals you'd think you would stick with someone who's been such a a you know a, a great source of them in recent times um and for Swansea I, I just think they'll have to improve I, I don't think that's the level of performance that, that Swansea fans have necessarily come to expect even though they got a, a pretty comfortable victory at the end of the day George uh bear with me here you speak okay. you speak a bit of French um if you were Johan Barbe ahead of this game and you wanted to um and you wanted to give a striker your uh, confidence ahead of his first start for a while what would you have said to your friend Macaulay in your native language of French? Bon chance. Well, Bon did have quite a lot of chance <laughs> and didn't take any of them. Um, yeah. And, the, you know, I, I, don't, I just couldn't resist that. Sorry, QPR fans. It's pretty grim great. at the moment, isn't it? They haven't won in eight, far, four of them, five of them have been defeats. Uh, so just three points in eight games. And they'll be looking downwards because below them, you've got at least two teams... And there are only five teams below them who who I think consensus is, oh, they'll get better. They'll probably get away from it eventually. Um, certainly Derby, that seems to be being said about. Potentially Forrest under Hewton, although things aren't going that well there for him. Maybe Sheffield Wednesday under Pulis. And if you're QPR in 19th, that's a pretty concerning place to be on, on this run of form. The Assay Samuel stuff doesn't help. A fun part of being on Quest in the championship section is that basically every small answer you give ends up getting typed up by a local newspaper and put online as <laughs> um so you get you get headlines about you like EFL pundit says Osei Samuel undermining the club and wow EF, what happened EFL pundit thinks defending was horrendous uh, as as is the case and you have to be careful what you say but um yeah he's been linked with Fenerbahce with Celtic um, they can obviously get him on a free transfer uh, as of the 1st of January. They could lock that in for the summer. So um, a, a bit of an issue for the club. And I just want to shout out Ilias Chair because I know that uh, I know that, that just taking one stat out of context can be meaningless. But when you have a, a play around on Scout and you look for creative players in the championship and you look at expected assists, which we think gives a, a probably a better reflection of who's creating the chances uh, rather than maybe someone whose strikers, you know, who've made three five-yard square balls and then uh, got three assists for that. Um, and Chair is the, has the second highest number in the league, 4.9 expected assists, and hasn't got a single assist to his name. Uh, and this game kind of summed it up. He put a couple of good balls in, uh, not taken by the QPR strikers. So uh, same story, really, because, yeah, you kind of said it there. They started pretty well, QPR. They didn't look like a horrendous football team. But as games go on, they seem to weaken. Um, and that's not a particularly good uh, characteristic, sadly. Uh, next up, 
Reading against Luton. Um, I mean, even the Reading fans that we saw on, on Boxing Day saying this one was a, a, a fairly poor quality affair in the first half, definitely, that was sort of lit up by two moments of quality. Firstly, brilliant finish, like instinctive finish from a young centre-back McIntyre from a set yeah. piece that flew into the top corner. And then um, a really nice bit of play from Sam Baldock. I guess the headline news with Reading at the moment is they're missing Joao and Mete, who are really good goal-scoring players. They've already got the creative players in Elise and Ajaria and the returning Swift. And so Bulldog, sadly, is clearly not going to, to bring the goal-scoring quality, but he is a clever player, and that was uh, very much on show in that in that assist for Semedo. Really nice goal. Um, uh, Luton's away form, George, deserted them a little bit. When... When we spoke about a month ago on the betting show, and I brought up some stats that I've just dredged up again. Nathan Jones's second spell, 10 away games. He'd won six, drawn two, lost two. And in the last month, they've played five away games, and they've lost four and drawn one. So I, it's a Reverting bit... Reverting to the mean, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's going to happen. The funny thing is that their underlying performance data recently, Luton, has been amazing. Like, mm. when I looked at the latest Fox Punter XG tables... In the whole of the championship, what baffled me and stood out to me was Luton's underlying performance data. So I guess I won't be too worried about the the away form dropping a little bit because generally I still think they are more than holding their own. Um, and you know, there's a reason they're 11 points clear of the relegation at the moment. So maybe not not something to be too concerned about. Um, Bristol City too. Just yeah, just a point on that. It's also to do with the, with the teams they're playing. You know, you look you look at the five teams they played in their last five games. You've got Borough who are. Pretty much the best team in the league at home. You've got Swansea who are sitting in second. Cardiff who was in the middle of that run of form that kind of saved Neil Harris's job. No shame at all in losing to Reading. So Coventry is the only one where you maybe look at it and think that's maybe a game they should win. But Coventry suddenly don't concede any goals, so a nil-nil draw probably true to form. I wouldn't be too concerned if I'm a Luton fan. They've already picked up more points away from home than one would have anticipated at this at the beginning of the season by by the new year. Feels like we've been bemoaning uh, injuries to exciting championship players recently so uh, I'm pleased to report that Jonathan Swift came off the bench for uh, Reading which is I'm excited to see how Pauno gets him back into this team uh, the Rinomota Laurent sort of double double pivot has been performing very well Semedo in the number 10 role you'd say might be the obvious spot for Swift I mean he's, he's pretty happy to rotate isn't he though Pauno that's true but I mean if there's any chance of getting Swift Elise Ajaria and Mate and Zhao on a pitch at any given time. I'd like to be there for that. Mm. Um, and, and Bradley Dack as well returned for Blackburn. And we won't touch on that game as it was a one-all draw with Sheffield Wednesday. And we've got a couple more though, George. Uh, Bristol City 2, Wickham 1 or Barnsley 2, Huddersfield 1. What do you fancy? I'm going to talk about Bristol City, Wickham, even though it's just the same thing again. I mean, obviously Wickham, I'm not going to call them too luckless here because the Gareth McCleary goal in itself was <laughs> a huge slice of luck. But again here, Wickham have come out of a game with no points. They've lost by a single goal yet again. I think it's eight of their last, last nine defeats. They've created plenty of chances in the game to to win it. Um, it kind of feels like Gareth Ainsworth made a deal with the devil when he, when he, when he got the promotion out of League One because they are consistently on the receiving end of bad beats um, for you know, for, for Bristol City, you know, we heard a lot about their good home record on Boxing Day. I think it's 1962 since they last lost there. I, I, there wasn't a great deal to be impressed with, I think, for Mario Jeju. Showing again that he probably deserves more minutes. Um, I know a lot of Bristol City fans are kind of demanding that Dean Holden starts looking at Jeju as an option to, to play up front, probably in place of Martin or, or, or playing as a lone striker from the start at times because they haven't been creating too many chances. It was an unbelievable instinctive finish what a strike kind of on the half volley into the roof of the net but yeah if you're Gareth Ainsworth you've got to be pulling your hair out um it there is a bit of a catch-22 situation with it where Akinfenwa I still think is is pretty crucial to the way that they create chances in games but he certainly is is showing that he's no goal scorer at this level mm. um so you're having to look at players like McCleary like Onya Dim Onya like Kashka, you know, to score these goals, something they've never really done consistently at this level, which is difficult. But I'm still just totally convinced that if Wickham carry on playing the way they are, that then the results are going to come. I think people who 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 continue to believe because of the 
because of the amount of defeats they're getting, that they're the weakest team in the league, are, are doing them a massive disservice. You see Ainsworth's interviews, and after every game, he just says, you know, I, I'm so sure we're nearly there. Mm. And, I'm, and I completely agree with him. I think for Bristol City, this was uh, one to look back fondly on the result and the amount of yeah. points that you took away from it, uh, if not necessarily the performance and the fact of letting Wickham back in the game, having had plenty of chances to go 2-0 up in this one, but much needed after three defeats in a row. Um, Bristol City, as, as as many other teams are in the Championship, but, but it's worth pointing out, are in the midst of something of an injury crisis. I got sent a... Basically, uh, 11 versus 11 of the injured 11 of Bristol City versus the fit 11 of Bristol City. And apart from the fact that whoever sent it to me had put Chris Brunt in goal because there's, a, there's, no, <laughs> there's no goal he's injured. Um, the outfield players, you know, it, probably the injured 11 looked a little stronger on paper. The centre-backs especially who are missing like Mawson um, and, and Baker. But, but also, you know, remember at the start of the season when they won all those games and we were loving Patterson and Vyman as these attacking number eights. Well, they're both out at the moment as well. And it's showing a little bit, but they do need to improve. Recent performances have been, have been poor. Barnsley beat Huddersfield 2-1. Three goals from set pieces here and an injury time winner. And Barnsley are in 10th all of a sudden, which is pretty exciting, um, and have the third best record in the league since Val Ishmael joined as manager to replace Jerry Struber. Um, two goals in this one for Barnsley for your Polish brother, Michael Helic. Um, mm. uh, who loves to get his head on the end of set pieces. And um, notable because, although this was a game where both sides... It was, a, it was an even game, I would say, um, in general. And I was surprised that there were no goals scored in open play because neither team particularly strong defensively. But um, Ishmael absolutely loves making subs more than any other... <laughs> more than any manager in the league. And I, and I love it. I guess the, the way that they play... There is so much benefit to having fresh legs in the last 20 minutes of games so that you can continue with your fairly like intense pressing game. Um, but I just love it. He took all three of the front three off and the two central midfielders in this game. Uh, and there they were getting the win. As noted on the Quest Highlights show, they've scored eight goals in the last 10 minutes of games this season and they haven't conceded any. Which it strikes me when you've got the youngest squad in the division, as everyone knows, and you play this style of play that looks very tiring. That's an, that sort of flies in the face of, of what you'd expect. You'd expect those sorts of teams to tire, maybe not have particularly good game management, uh, and Barnsley are showing the complete opposite. So uh, very, very impressive indeed. Anything to add on Barnsley 2, Huddersfield 1? If not, talk to me about Derby nil, Preston 1. Derby nil, Preston 1, it is then. And yeah, where do we start? Because I think for Preston fans, we have to start with what was a big three points you have to credit them for battling away until the 95th minute you have to credit Alan Brown with what was a, a brilliant finish at a time where you know a, a bit of a calm head the presence of mind to shift inside and get his head up before beautifully whipping a left-footed shot into the far corner um, it was a you know a captain's goal and, and one that will be crucial to their challenges towards the top of the table very important to give Preston their due because I, I want to give Derby most of the credit here. And I want to give Wayne Rooney most of the credit here. I, I'm still... he He's improved Derby so much early on. It was telling that he... I mean, I should mention for those who have, didn't follow the game, Martin Waghorn was sent off after 20 minutes for a foul tackle. Like a, a horrible, horrible lunge. Um, studs up into uh, Alan Brown. I forgot to mention in the earlier in the Norwich Watford game, I thought Etienne Capoue should have been sent off a nil nil for stamping on the back of Buendia's leg. He only didn't seemingly didn't get it because he apologised straight away. Um, but for Derby, they had to play this game with you know with ten men for seventy minutes, and they did such a good job of it. They were so compact out of possession. They limited Preston to. to fairly few opportunities. I think they only had nine shots in the game. Um, and, you know, they weren't good value for their point in, in the fact that they were, um, this was a game between two sides to a level, but they were good value for the point because of the way that they went about trying to get that point from nil-nil. Rooney said after the game, in his opinion, it was their best performance of the season so far, which says a lot. And I think that says a lot about him as a manager. You know, he understands that the processes in order to be successful, sometimes going down to 10 men, setting up shop to try and get that point is important and it's something they did really well and it was just a, a moment of, of real quality from Brown that stopped that from happening um, so credit to Derby I, I, I'm just 
I'm getting pretty excited about Wayne Rooney, the manager, I must say. There, there is quite clearly evidence early on that he has what it takes to set up a side to be a good football team. And, you know, I guess when you think that he's England's record goal scorer and he's somebody who, if you've ever read any interview or listened to any interview with Wayne Rooney, despite the celebrity and the fanfare around him, he's a guy who clearly just absolutely lives and breathes football. So the idea that an elite level footballer who is so passionate about the game might make a good manager shouldn't be a surprise. I think some people maybe have a negative um, perception of Rooney as a person and of his intelligence. But what we're seeing at the moment is a guy who is taking to this job very, very well indeed. And and I'm excited to see how it continues, uh, but mainly with 11 men on the pitch. And that flash of brilliance from Alan Brown really basically delayed a conversation that would very much have been had about Preston and their inability to break down teams who who sit deep. For, for over a year now, we've seen a Preston side who, in a game against a, a top side, often away from home, when the onus is on the opposition to attack Preston, they are deadly. They're so dangerous. They're so well drilled. And they've got pace on the counter-attack and they love to play in transition. When they are at home to teams that they're meant to beat, or in the case as it was on the weekend, of against 10 men for the majority of a game and the onus is on them to break down teams who sit deep. That is where they have a big issue. Um, and again, they weren't particularly impressive in how they went about that until that flash of class from Alan Brown. I mean, it's a hell of a situation they're in and a, an unsettling one for fans at the moment. Their contract situation. I mean, we talked about a say Samuel and how that contract situation might be slightly undermining QPR at the moment with Preston. Here are the players. Here's only a selection of players whose contracts are up in six months and three days. Ben Pearson, Alan Brown, Daniel Johnson, Ben Davies and Darnell Fisher. Like five Mm. key players for them in their current first 11, all out of contract. Therefore, unlikely if they do expire and leave on freeze to get any compensation they might get some for davis because he's a young player and he's come through the system otherwise no comp for players who probably have a combined value of 10 million quid and without the financial backing um at board level to to you would say adequately replace them with like for like players um so it's a really unsettling time for preston fans at the moment uh we're going to move on to league one if you think we're going to spend any time on a bank holiday talking about forest nil birmingham nil or Coventry nil, Stoke nil. <laughs> I'm afraid we're letting you down here. Um, but, no uh, chance. But there's no chance. In League One, we only had half of a slate. Um, half of a docket, just a dock on, <laughs> <laughs> on Boxing Day. Um, but I guess the headline on the docket was uh, Lincoln City thrashing Burton. Uh, they ended the day top of the league. Burton, of course, bottom of the league. 5-1 winners. Um, and <laughs> I don't really know... What, uh, th- I don't know what else to say about Lincoln that we haven't already said. So I wanted to to talk through a couple of players that aren't named Brennan Johnson or Lewis Montsmer or George Grant, because I think it's fair to say those are the three who have got the majority of the plaudits. When you've got a team top of the league on Boxing Day heading into the new year, I think it's worth, you know, talking through some of the other players. You've got Jamie Jones in the centre of the park, who they signed from Crewe. His ball out wide for the first goal early on in that game, which basically set the tone for the rest of the game was magnificent in midfield. Remy Howarth looks like a really energetic central midfield player. I don't know a huge amount about him, but he's catching the eye recently in this good uh, Lincoln side. Anthony Scully, who's a, a West Ham youngster, classic Appleton, getting Premier League young players who have dropped down, who haven't got their chance, um, get them sort of thriving. He'd never made a senior appearance, released by West Ham, into the loving embrace of Appleton. Uh, and now five goals in his first 20 league games for them, looking very, very good. Alex Palmer in goal. He's on loan from West Brom. Uh, people who follow League Two will remember him last year being in goal for Plymouth in their promotion. Uh, Appleton, obviously, with strong links to West Brom, and he's in goal. They also got Callum Morton, who was Northampton's star, wasn't he, at the playoffs? And he hasn't played at all this season because of a shoulder injury, but we expect him to be back come February and you know given that Tom Hopper is playing up front at the moment playing well but is not a huge goal threat if Morton can can rediscover some of that form towards the end of the season that could be a huge addition for them uh, Lincoln if they are going for automatic promotion and then just the fullbacks I think 
more classic Appleton this really. Teo Eden, who's always been highly rated when he came through at Fulham. Uh, I think there's always been slight question marks about what his position would be as a senior player. Uh, he went on loan to Ipswich and that didn't work out at all under Paul Hurst. And again, released by Fulham, no way through there. Um, dropped it, dropped down to Lincoln and now he's thriving. 22-year-old left back playing really, really well. He used to be a, a big staple of uh, England youth teams. And Ioma, the right back, is on loan from Tottenham. So it's just, it's, this isn't necessarily giving us credit at all because it, it, it's Appleton. But, <laughs> yeah, it's not us. No, no, sorry. <laughs> I should have finished my sentence there. Not giving us credit, but anyone who's followed Appleton's career before this season or as he took over Lincoln could have said, this is how he will go about recruiting this is how he'll go about building a squad to sort of uh, sort of move on from the Cowley era and it couldn't be going any better whatsoever yeah I mean I touched on this um on five live on Saturday where Michael Appleton is very quickly proving himself to be whether it's him or, or the people that he employs around him to have worked out recruitment strategy that is just basically better than everybody else's, whether it's his knowledge of academy grads of, of whatever it is. Um, you know, if you, uh, it's, it's frustrating for me that it always goes back to Oxford because it makes it sound like it's just a biased point of view. But if you look back at the Oxford team that he built, you've got players who came through, for example, George Baldock, who he signed on loan from MK Dons, who's now playing in the Premier League for Sheffield United alongside John Lundstrom, who he signed from Everton, who hadn't really made any appearances for the first team on a permanent. You have Curtis Nelson, who's now playing centre-back for Cardiff. You have Marvin Johnson, who's now playing left wing for Middlesbrough. You've got Callum O'Dowder, who's now playing left wing for Bristol City. You've got Kimar Roof, who's playing up front for Rangers. It like There is a consistent trend here of, of finding talent that is better than the level. Shea Dunkley playing centre-back now for Sheffield Wednesday. Danny Hilton is starting up front for Luton. I mean, the, the list kind of goes on and on. Joe, Joe Rothwell, who's now playing like Maradona for, for Blackburn. Like, and, and the thing is, because Oxford now a League One team, it might not seem like a big step up. The majority of those players are playing for Oxford in League Two. So he was building a young side in League Two who are now playing the majority of their football in the Championship, some in the Premier League, some in Europe. It's showing that there is a clever way to do this. It's showing people as well that the idea of needing to recruit players who have League One, League Two experience is just absolute nonsense. If you get players in who are of the right character and the right technical quality, then they will perform well, even as a young team together. Because the thing is, even if this Lincoln side doesn't go up this season, what you've now got, and you know, we look at what Danny Cowley did at Lincoln, it was unbelievable the success that he brought. But this is different, where whatever happens with, with Lincoln City and this season, if they don't go up or whatever, they've now got a side who, if they continue playing at the level they're playing at, are going to turn over a massive profit for the club. You know, these players are going to be sellable assets very, very soon. The players they've got permanently, I should say, because obviously some are still on loan. And that enables them to reinvest again in a business model, in a player recruitment model that clearly works. You know, it's it's incredible to see how many clubs in League One and League Two are still so lazy in their recruitment, signing players who have 250, 300 games at that level, who've been released from a side, you know, who took two years, look at them and decided they weren't good enough, but they'd turn up at the same at the same uh, level of club. Like what he's doing is is incredible. And, and no matter what, even if they end up finishing and having that kind of slide that I think most people expect them to have, it's uh, it's remarkable what he's done to build a team with that budget um, in such little time. I'm not sure if I expect an, a significant slide. I certainly expect a, you know, a run of poor form in the same way that I would expect every club in League One to suffer a poor form, poor run of form between now and the end of the division. But you know, the performance levels are consistently good, um, and it, it's not that they're not like running really hot in in any of the underlying stuff that we might look at. Um, you know, to to sort of predict the future, it's all looking worryingly good. I must say for for Lincoln and just. You know, well done to those who run Lincoln City because losing Cowley quite early on in the season last year, when Lincoln had started really well, you might remember they were towards the top of League One. You know, it's only a month in or something, but to lose a manager that took you from, well, put it this way, four years ago they were in the National League. Um, they won the National League, had a season in League Two, won League Two, had a season in League One, and they're now top of League One. 
uh, and to have bridged that gap between the manager that did the first bit um, and now have a manager who's doing the second bit. Uh, it's an astonishing rise. It's, it's absolutely mm. unbelievable what Lincoln have done over the last few years. Um, elsewhere in League One, at 3.14pm, you WhatsApped me and said, wonder if yellows might go up. <laughs> at six at six twenty one, perhaps bolstered by a glass of wine. I know you were doing Sky, so no, you wouldn't have done that. Don't say that. At six twenty one, three hours later, with no alcohol in your system whatsoever, you tweeted to the nation, Can't believe Oxford are going up this season. Um I mean it seems ridiculous to me, so you can just tell me why you're so excited. I mean it, tongue firmly, firmly in cheek. Uh, <laughs> have to say. Um because it's just, I think any fan of a club who um, has undergone a really disappointing start to the season, where kind of con- having thought you might be locked for a top six finish, suddenly you're contemplating relegation battle. When the bad form kind of goes away and you realise that actually the chances are you're going to be fine and you start looking up the table for the first time rather than down, you're entitled to, to dream a bit. And it was mainly there, the tweet was mainly there just to um, hopefully raise a smile with some Oxford fans, which I think it did on an afternoon where we could enjoy three points, especially because it was, it was a classic game state game, this 2-0 win, where AFC Wimbledon didn't have a shot until the 30th minute. And then once Oxford were 2-0 up, it was an absolute onslaught um, and massive credit to Jack Stevens. Um, you know, I thought the the quest analysis from the EN, from the EFL pundit was very good uh, on, uh, on Jack Stevens. <laughs> Um, even if he failed to credit me for his uh, his research on Brennan Johnson and David Johnson for the Lincoln part, um, but it was <laughs> it was uh, yeah Jack Stevens has come in you know a, a, effectively a kid at 23 who's been waiting a long time for his chance and to keep four clean sheets in five kind of this was the first game where he was really to thank for those um, for the saves that, that got the team there um, but it does just feel now like Oxford with a settled back four. Back five, I should say, or maybe even back six with Gorin sitting in front. Um, it, the the bad run, I think, is through. And, you know, I, I got a text from someone a couple of weeks ago saying, do you reckon Oxford are going to stay up? And I had to kind of double take being like, Christ, is that still the question? You know, we're only four points off the drop now, um, although, albeit with games in hand on most of the league, I'd be, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking up rather than down. Although I should say, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us get beat tomorrow evening because Alex Gorin has got his customary suspension. And uh, Liam Kelly sitting in front of the back four doesn't do ex- quite the same job as uh, as Gorin. Sadly, beating Wimbledon doesn't count if Joe Piggott wasn't playing. Um, Pig- <laughs> Piggott, yeah. Piggott in blanket on the on the subs bench, I think, as it was um, in that Boxing Day fixture. Um, we had Wigan one, Shrewsbury one, and Crew one, Fleetwood one. And I mean, generally, most of the chat around those games was around refereeing decisions. And as we know, that doesn't make for a particularly interesting podcast three days later. So um, just before we move on from League One, the Charlton 2, Argyle 2 game was entertaining. And two, the two notables to me, the obvious one, that the incredible strike from Marcus Madison, the, the, the shape on it, the the trajectory and the speed was unbelievable and it's great to see because that's what we want to see from Marcus Madison and I'm afraid the sort of negative way to spin it is when he's not doing that or setting up goals with deadly crosses sometimes you wonder if he's doing much to help the team at all so uh, Charlton fans will be hoping for more of the same but I mean Luke Jeff Luke Jeffcott scored two for Argyle on the weekend and we've got to talk about him a little bit here because He's a 20-year-old striker who uh, is going to be playing for Wales, I'm sure, in the next international break. Um, he's got 10 League One goals in 1,000 minutes, so one every 100 minutes, and he scored seven last season in League Two in around the same amount of time. He'll turn 21 in January, and uh, you know, just like Max Waters in League Two, when these numbers are being put up by someone of this age, goal-scoring numbers specifically, you just know that, that everyone in the tier above, and dare I say it, some Premier League teams, are going to just be having a, an extra special look at this kid because, yeah, that mixture of age and the poacher's instinct that he shows, the, the fact that he has proven himself over about 12 months now to be a regular goal scorer who was able to step up a level, that is so, so attractive, isn't it? I think the interesting thing about Jeffka is if you were a club, if you're a recruitment department of a championship club, for example, and this is before I even know what sort of price you, you would be asked for, but two things that would make you pause. One would be he's only played in Ryan Lowe's 3-5-2 formation in a two-up top, 
and his build and his sort of he, he, basically he hasn't proven himself as like a link player and he's not particularly big and it's, it's, it's hard outside of the penalty box to know exactly what he's bringing but in the box just as a pure poacher it's just such an interesting like recruitment question at the moment whether you whether you gamble on that being a genuinely you know for this for e- in EFL terms whether you gamble on him being an elite goal scorer like a Jordan Rhodes of the past for example or whether you, you pause a little bit and you say well actually we play one up top and I don't think this is a guy who's ever going to settle in uh, to a one up top those are the questions you've got to be asking yourself so interesting to know what you guys think at NTT20pod on Twitter if you've looked uh, at Jeffka if you've had a good look at him and, and you've got some scouting thoughts let us know because he's a really interesting player at the moment League 2 George ah as always, it seems like League Two's got talking points galore. I mean, we should probably start with South End, shouldn't we? I kn- yes. I know they've won three out of four, and I just know how upset you were that when you stuck your neck out and picked them to beat Mansfield on the betting show at really long odds, that was the one out of four they didn't win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> annoying. It was also I wanted to do I wanted to give them big credit on the radio on Saturday, um, but sadly my 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 time on air was cut short, and it was their bit that went because. It, it's it's kind of incredible what's happened there. Like we've we've seen it a couple of times this season, especially in League Two. You know, Scunthorpe went on a, on a similar run after being down and out. But for South End, for a period of eighteen months, South End have been comfortably the worst team in their division. I think there's probably an argument to say that even when they were in League One last season, they were still maybe the worst team in, of the seventy two clubs. Anyway, yeah. um, but just because of how poor they were as soon as they came down. You've got Mark Mosley, a manager who we've barely even spoken about because I think the general consensus has been that whatever's been going on on the pitch at South End hasn't been his fault. So what's the point in, in talking about Mosley himself? By that same kind of, I, I think we have to look at Mosley as being part of the reason why they've improved. There is, of course, the tangible reason, which is the um, the transfer embargo being overturned. And it's no coincidence that the embargo being overturned has directly coincided with their improvement their form improving I think it's also important to point out they're not going to suddenly be one of the best teams in this division you know they're not going to win games willy-nilly from now on in I think the, the fixture list itself has been quite kind to them at a time where you know it, it, it suited them they played against you know a culture society who I'm pretty pretty sure are gonna um, slide down the table in coming weeks you actually look at the four teams so the five teams they played in that run Stevenage, Scunthorpe, Grimsby, Mansfield and Colchester if I was to draw up my worst teams of the division kind of top 10 all of those teams would be in it um, so it's come at a decent time for them uh, you mentioned on the on the on the quest show you know Akinola and Hart are obviously playing huge parts in that I think Akinola is a player who who looks very lively indeed but um yeah, for, for the club to stay patient, for Mosley to find a method to, to win these games and, and to turn around the culture at the club in the way that that's happened over the last three or four weeks is is incredibly impressive. Um so all credit to them. And I'm just more than anything really happy for, for South End fans. Um I know there there is still issues with with how much we're gonna credit or talk about or how much we yeah, we want to discuss the the ownership at South End. Um, but just for the fans themselves, who had to deal with a hell of a long time of of bad beats, and look destined just to, just to fall away into non-league with a whimper, just a couple of years after being being an okay League One side, was was desperate to see. So I'm really hoping, and you know, we should, except for my Oxford bias, obviously you and I should be fairly, um, you know, we shouldn't look for certain clubs to do okay. But just for 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 Southend fans, I'm I'm really happy that they're enjoying something at the moment, and I hope that it continues. Uh, throughout the season yeah second goal was a, a really nice goal brilliant bit of midfield play from Kyle Taylor finished off by Dieng um, as, as you alluded to there the question is how bad are the Colchester side that, that they beat because in underlying performance data terms they're insanely bad only mm. only better than South End over the course of the whole season in terms of XG ratio in League 2 now I haven't seen enough full 90s of Cole U to be able to weigh in definitively there but it felt like Colchester fans are sort of in agreement that that's what they've seen as well you know maybe it takes a defeat to South End for the Knives to really come out and you can understand why the weekend or Boxing Day was so grim for Cole U fans but among the messages we got basically all of them referenced even when we were winning and Giovanni Brown was getting all the plaudits 
he was papering over some massive cracks, massive, massive mm. cracks. And I mean, it didn't feel like Giovanni Brown was was going to be, you know, scoring at that rate forever, was it? And um, Edinson Giovanni. That's the concern, is it? Um, how much do you put down to the to the rookie manager? How much do you put down to a, a couple of key men departing in the summer? I think the feeling amongst the fan base is that the squad is not significantly weaker than it was last year. So it's it's pretty concerning, and you yeah. know, results like that and bad vibes as as it that have been sort of right at the fore for the last few weeks is um, yeah. Keep an eye on Cole Hughes' next few results. That's for sure. Um, Morecambe. Could could barely be doing better. Four league wins in a row for the first time since 2016. Five wins in six overall. Carlos Mendes Gomez with two poachers finishes. I mean, we know him to be a a tricky attacking player, a sort of wide forward with a goal threat. But both of those were like proper number nine goals, which I really liked. Um, and everything's just working so well. I loved that in Derek Adams's post match. Uh, he basically just went through the team and just went like, yeah, the front four with Stockton, Slough, Mendes, Gomez uh, and Phillips, they're playing really well. And then um, the back four all doing really well with Songo in front of them and uh, and Will Dig as well. So, yeah, everything's just going pretty well. <laughs> it's all great. That's exactly it. The system he's playing is working. I've, I've been back through their last six games and there's just a core of like 10 players who are starting every week. Don't seem to be suffering from fatigue because they're just... They're so in sync and they're playing so well. And it's it's brilliant, brilliant to see another team for whom the performance data, this isn't a case of them like nicking a load of tight ones and probably going to be on the other end of it um, in the next few games. They are genuinely dominating these games. They were poor. Yeah. They didn't have a shot in the first half against yeah, I was about to say, I mean, I was following this game closely because it was my super nap on the, uh, on the betting show. And I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I just couldn't believe. I was sitting there being like, they haven't, they've been behind early. And they haven't had a shot. And then the first five minutes of the second half went and they still hadn't had a shot. And I was just thinking, what, like, how is this going on? Um, but they kind of eased clear, I guess. And, and, and Carlos Mendes Gomez, I mean, let's not forget about, I mean, he's a guy whose story is, is so interesting. You know, he came through Atleti. He went to Manchester College. He was picked up playing for Chalton and West Didsbury. Um, <laughs> West Didsbury and Chalton. Yeah, sorry. I actually, on, I actually used to, I used to live it's in like, between West Didsbury and Chilton. It's like so. calling them Redbridge and Dagenham. Yeah, except they're not in, have never been in the EFL sides. I'm sorry. It's just because in my head, when I used to live in between the two, I'd be like, yeah, I'm next to West Didsbury and Chilton. Chilton and West Didsbury. Um, I wonder if I ever saw Carlos Mendes Gomez there. Probably. Um, no, I think I'd left a bit after. Um, but no, it's it's just incredible to see. And he he's somebody. You know, we talk about good recruitment and. You know, he's someone who Morecambe, I, I guess, are probably going to have to do quite well to keep hold of maybe in Jan. Although I don't think it's going to be too much money flying around. So they should be OK until the summer because you'd expect him to probably pick up a, a, a tidy sum the way he's playing at the moment. Yeah, they beat Grimsby, um, who are suffering, it's fair to say, on the pitch, of course. Managerless now after Ian Holloway's resignation and turmoil off the field, sadly. Um, I want to just flag up a a fan group that's been set up Grimsby Town Fenty Out is their name and that's partly because it creates one of the best acronyms I've ever seen which is GTFO um, get the F out if you're not up to date with your internet acronyms. lingo um, and essentially they're I, I can't go through the ins and outs of everything that's happened uh, off the field in the last few weeks but there are buyers theoretically who the fans would like to see take over the club. And there appears to be something of a soap opera going on with offers and counter offers and statements from both sides. And ultimately, at the, uh, in, in the heart of it, is an owner in John Fenty, who's been chairman of the club for 16 years. And the general, well, the, the, mess the message from um, Crimsby Town fans is, we want you out. We will not support the club while you're still in. Please, basically sell the club to the um, prospective owners that they're a group led by Tom Schutz and his business partners, Jason Stockwood and Andrew Pettit. Um, you know, that they would have to go through the same sort of testing as any prospective owners would uh, in terms of owners and directors tests. And that's in the hands of the EFL, but a large majority, if not all of Grimsby fans uh, are saying, please, John Fenty, we'd like you not to be our chairman anymore. Please don't drag your heels. Um, we'd like to see you see you out uh, and it'd be interesting to see if there's any developments because every day the story seems to change at the moment and um, 
yeah, it's a it's it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one for Grimsby fans. Um, Salford under Richie Wellens, George, have the jo- on the march joint most points in the league since he joined with Morecambe. Five wins, two draws, and two defeats. Only six goals conceded in those nine games, which is very very good. But only eleven scored, so they could still do more going forward. But uh, yeah, w- when you make that change. And when the eyebrows are raised by those who look at the league table and say, you can't sack Graham Alexander in that position, you, you need <laughs> you need it to start like this, don't you, really? Yeah, you do. You do. And and, and I think that we're now seeing it's, it's kind of gone in a, a quite a good way for Richie Wellens, where initially when he first took over, I, I don't think there was a, a great turnaround in terms of performances, but the results improved. Um, but we're now seeing the performances improving in line with the results. I think this was... A particularly significant game where they came up against the Warsaw side who'd been very, very good in recent weeks were making their own merry march up the table. Um, but Salford were able to to stop that. They had a lot of th- it was interesting because we I think you and I both kind of thought that the arrival of Wellens at Salford would would kind of go and go alongside a scoring run of form for Ian Henderson, given what we knew about Owen Doyle. But they seem like a, a much more well-rounded attacking force, Salford, where you're getting Ashley Hunter's getting a lot of chances. Uh, Thomas Asante, James Wilson, who obviously got the first goal as well. So they feel like a, a very good attacking unit rather than a team geared just to create chances for a six-yard box poacher. Maybe that'll come in time. Um, but Salford are ominous, I would say now. Like Looking at the League 2 table, you've got Newport, who are on a still top, but on, on, on not a particularly good run of form. Cheltenham struggling as well. You, I mean, even though you and I are both massive fans of this Morecambe side, you have to still put a question mark next to their staying power. Um, Carlisle obviously got pegged back. I assume we'll probably talk about that in a second, even though it was a draw. That they're, they're right in there. They, you know, they're five points off top with a game in hand, and I don't think they're playing particularly well yet. I have no doubt that when he came into the club, Richie Wellens was told that even despite the poor start to the season. Uh, in terms of a points tally, he was still expected to get them into League Two uh, next season. And the way they're going, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't bet against them doing it. What would you like to say about Carlisle 3, Bolton 3? It was mental. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely bonkers. Um, is it bad if I say I'm a little bit annoyed about it purely because of Ian Everett's pre-match antics? You know, you've got two clubs doing things very differently. You've got Carlisle giving their new manager and his and his assistant new contracts, announcing it to their fan base on Christmas Day as a Christmas present, which I just absolutely loved. Uh, and then you've got Ian Everett at Bolton when they're 15th in the table telling the local press that he thinks that on their day, we should caveat it by saying that because he did say that too, on their day they play the best football and, and that no one can live with them. I wouldn't want to hear uh, that if I was a Bolton fan. No, nor would I. And so it kind of annoyed me that the that the team who were doing stuff in the way I liked it, I like it to be done ended up getting pegged back here. But all credit to Bolton and all credit to Everett for doing so. And Thomason actually nearly won the game for them, hitting the post late on before Carlisle hit the post themselves. Um, but you know, Carlisle had conceded six goals at home all season before this. So to concede three in 46 minutes of football... Um, yeah, I mean, it's only a point for Bolton. It doesn't get them much closer to where they want to be or where Ian Everett clearly thinks they should be. But in terms of, of, of a significant turnaround and you know, we talk about galvanising clubs, we, we've said about four different times that maybe this is the, this is the game where, where Bolton are going to click. Um, but he's got a hell of a way to show. You know, I think Bolton probably did come up against maybe the best footballing side in the division. Um, came unstuck by a couple of set-piece goals, but you know they left with a point. So I'm sure Ian Everett would, would stick two fingers up to me for, for doubting his uh, his comments. One of the key players for Bolton in their comeback was uh, Peter Chioso. Uh, and it's worth just bringing him up as a another example of Luton Town recruitment, which might sound a little confusing, but we, we've mentioned a few times they are sort of low-key one of the best recruitment teams in the country based on their last five years. Um, and Kioso might be the next one up. Um, you know, it might take a while for him to actually break into the Luton Town first team, but in the sense that they picked him up from non-league where he'd been playing for Hartlepool. Um, he's Pelly Ruddock and Panzu's cousin, which I really like. Um, picked him up from Hartlepool, um, had him for a month or two, and then picked what looks to be a very good loan for him. Um, in Ian Everett's Bolton side. He's got three league goals already playing right wing back. Looks like a brilliant attacking wing back and we know that those are all the rage at the moment. So uh, a nice bit of work from from Luton there to pick a player from non-league 
um, choose the right loan for him uh, and his development path is going very well at the moment so yeah worth worth keeping an eye on Kyoso um, really good going forward for Bolton and let's just touch on a few caretaker managers who have been class in League 2 this season yes right we had the Tranmere uh, caretaker who won five in a row I think at one point uh, before the job went to Keith Hill we've had Rob Kelly of Barrow who I want to talk about first even though Michael Jolly was appointed on like last midweek Kelly took this game and just like last week when they beat Cheltenham 3-0, he was able to raise the performance levels again and get a 2-0 win against Port Vale, which leaves Michael Jolly's Barrow in a much better position than they were when David Dunn left just, what, 10 days ago or so. Um, so big credit to Rob Kelly. But but more so than that, George, I want to know your thoughts on the appointment of Michael Jolly at Barrow, whether you think that's a good appointment for the club. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting appointment. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's definitely a good appointment. We saw flashes at Grimsby that he's going to be a capable manager. He's obviously very intelligent. I think he'd have learned a hell of a lot from that experience. Um, He comes into a job, a kind of a perfect time where the man who now reverts back to being his assistant manager, which is great news for the club, Rob Kelly stays, um, has got them playing very, very well. Uh, he's got a, a scorer in Scott Quigley who was struggling for goals in the EFL having scored so many last time who's now got three and three uh, it's it's a good job for him to take on I, I'm excited and interested to see how it's going to go you know for Barrow fans listening I'm not sitting here saying this is a magnificent appointment I, I don't think he did enough at Grimsby to show that that may be the case I think he's obviously got a fair bit to sort out in terms of how he deals with the local press maybe maybe at Barrow that'll be slightly different because that's what seemed to spell the end of his time um, in Lincolnshire, but um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see it. And I, I've just been incredibly impressed with with Barrow. They've they've stepped it up to a level that I I didn't know they had in the last couple of games under under Rob Kelly. Yeah, it's interesting when when Jolly left Grimsby, they weren't in a particularly horrendous position. Um, funnily, enough. he he told the local journals where to go. Mm, he did. He didn't get on very well with them, did he? Which is no. not which is he's not the he's not the only Grimsby town manager that hasn't in the past. Um and then at Mark Truman and Connor Sellers, George Bradford City caretaker managers previously both um involved in the under 18 setup, three wins in a row and again Bradford easing away from danger with that. What's your thoughts on this? They they've been given the job this morning but not full full time just to sort of but weren't they already interim? Yeah, but I think it's more now it's interim until you hear otherwise. You know, the, the search is off. Makes sense, doesn't um, it? Yeah, th- there was quite a nice quote I like from Truman before this weekend's games where he said, he said, like, I'm, I'm reading a lot about like how we've just gone back to basics, but I think that's almost quite unfair. Like we're doing, we're doing more than that, thanks. Like saying like, we, you know, we're actually like implementing some ideas. We're not just telling the lads to go out there and, and kick and run. Um, yeah, I, I think this is the right way to go about looking at appointing um, caretakers full-time. I think too often, maybe recently, we've seen clubs really throw their weight of confidence behind people after a run of, you know, a very small sample size of games. Um, I think giving them the job on an interim basis, as we saw um, with Mark Bonner last season at Cambridge, is probably the way to go. You know, you'd be able to see if this is just a bit of a lucky streak. you will be able to see if the performance levels continue to improve um you'll be able to to speak to players and senior staff about how they feel the appointment's going it, it makes absolute sense uh so um interested to see how they continue but yeah definitely being a good start home games next up against vale and then Morecambe. be really interesting to see where they are in one week's time when we next chat and um yeah i mean the youngest managers in the efl now i think sellers is 28 and truman is 32 so wow. there you go. Do you remember? Um, it gives me real nice vibes of uh, Rossi Eames and Henry Newman yes. uh, at Barnet. Very similar, where sort of promoted from within. Really impressive uh, early response as caretaker managers, sort of get given the job, but not necessarily full whack. Sort of still on something of a leash, but um, a nice reflection on on how good Bradford have been in the last three games. I mean, beating Tranmere away. Very impressive result indeed. Um, elsewhere in League Two, you had Mansfield beating Scunthorpe 3-2, a game best described as ugly, I think it's fair to say. Um, a Wes Houlihan-inspired turnaround for Mark Bonner and, and his Cambridge side. They found themselves 1-0 down to a Danny Johnson goal, as so many teams have this season. Um, but uh, a goal from Houlihan and then 
Um, although not technically the, the assist for the second goal, clearly the person who who made it happen, if you will, by driving into the final third and playing a good ball into Ironside, who set up Mullin. Uh, and a really good win for Harrogate as well. They've got two wins in their last three, much needed uh, after what was a very poor run. They were helped by uh, a red card, a, a, a mindless red card from Bobby Grant of Oldham. Um, and they turned that one around thanks to George Thompson, whose winning goal was very spectacular. A spectacular Boxing Day all round uh, in the EFL. It's a shame that we uh, that we missed eight games due to COVID. Um, we expect that this midweek round of fixtures and pr- probably the weekend's rounds of fixtures as well will continue to be affected um, by the pandemic. But we'll still be covering it, that's for sure. We'll be back again with a betting show in the second half of this week. Enjoy the midweek fixtures and don't forget, George Alec, this very specific call to action. Download the Skybet EFL Rewards app on your phone right now, please. If you don't, I'm going to be very upset. And uh, play the predictor game. I got three again (laughs) on Saturday, but this time it was three out of six. So better still wasn't enough to win me the bag of sand. Um, But hoping this is your last chance, guys. This is it. So do download it ready for the midweek docket three lots of one thousand pounds up for grabs in each efl division on the skybet efl rewards app predictor this midweek please do get involved we've had two ntt20 listeners confirmed as winners in the last week and it'd be great to finish on a high um so do get that downloaded do fill in your predictions and fingers crossed after that maybe one of us could win one of the last uh in the last game week anyway thank you guys we're straight back on the sofa now um we hope you're all well hope you're having a good week um at ntt20 pod if you've got any questions queries problems with today's pod we'll chat again soon